Sometimes you find yourself standing in a borrowed robe in the parking lot of a motel in Austin, Texas at 5 a.m. wondering if you're married to a con artist. You might let your weight sink into the cheap metal fender of a car that's not yours and look up into the clear southern sky at a sliver of a moon revealing itself slowly and rub your eyes. Stinging, they are, from too many tears and a fistful of Advil meant to chase away the unavoidable hangover that's about to come on like that moon up there. A week ago, you explained to your acupuncturist that you're not sure why you had shingles all of a sudden. Nothing's been that stressful, but that's not true. It's all been stressful. And maybe from exhaustion or maybe from existence, you puddle to the ground, folds of sadness and robe gathering around you as you fall asleep in the parking lot of a motel in Austin, Texas. But when you wake up, you still have no idea how to move forward. Time for us to open up the portal to the deep night and explore this creative and emotional block. Oh, friends, hello, it's me, Dale Shiver. And I am your conflicted host, confused guru, and how can I be your guide to the next hour of regrets and revelations when my own sense of direction is so off? It's time for me to do some excavating of my shadow being, I think. Now, as an intuitive with extrasensory powers and the ability to see through most hardwoods, I know that sometimes things can just feel off. Sometimes you don't want to go to a party or see people or have someone else slice your bagel. Do you ever get blocked, folks pulled under, by that shadow self that dwells in the deep reserves of trauma that sits down in our lower chakras? Even if you had the perfect upbringing, the best parents, well, we all experience trauma of one sort or another. Some people never recover from the trauma of punching through the birth canal or weaning off breast milk. Most of those people should probably buy one of those pillows shaped like a human body and never let go. But whether it's trauma-related or not, sometimes we just get a little unsure of ourselves and we don't know where to turn or how to get things done. I'm talking about me. I'm having trouble. Please send candies or vibrations. I'm looking deep into my Akashic records and the Akashic file folders are empty. Lo, my energy, past, present, and future is just a blank CD. Technically a CDR, because once it's written, it can't be undone. It seemed for a moment that Mercury was spinning out of retrograde and the House of Venus was rising in Sagittarius for a snuggle while Aries went out for a grilled cheese sandwich. And that would all be okay here in the dominion of humankind. That's what it felt like, that all was going to be okay, but not for me. I thought doing a few home repair projects would serve as some kind of release. So I installed a dimmer switch in the home on a light that was much too bright. And then I thought, you know what else would make a difference? Let's lose this golden wallpaper and replace it with something less harsh and more textural. Oh, fellow travelers, I'm all about texture. I think when I die, I'm going to insist on a clear casket, something resembling a giant quartz formation. And a tombstone painted in chalkboard paint. And it'll have a permanent little bit with the words, uh, he was all about just printed there, and then a blank line where visitors and well-wishers can write whatever they like. I hope some of you will remember to write texture, because that is, was big for me. 
I installed some beautiful wallpaper, which, as it turns out, was designed by shiplath enthusiasts and possible members of a Christian cult in Waco, Texas, Chip and Joanna Gaines. I enjoy their program on the HGTV, but I also make donations to all my local LGBTQ organizations just in case I need the karmic balance. Do you think about your funeral often? Gosh, I know some little boys and girls spend their days dreaming up their wedding day. Not for me. I've always been hard at work planning my funeral. I'd lie on the floor covered in a black shroud, just coming up with great ideas to make do while my life slowly slipped away. It's not fun to sweat the small stuff, but I do like to be pretty precise about the details of my end-of-life festivities. If you're not, well, then you end up with a bunch of people surrounding you asking you for your stuff, and then, because you're too weak to answer, your cousin Dinald ends up with your favorite watch. There's, of course, a big run-up to the main event, main event being my passing, a week filled with flowers and uh, chocolates and things I ought not to eat, some donuts, because I, I, I will, I will eat them, <laughs> because WTF, I'm dying. Maybe someone will hire a DJ to play my favorite hitch in the evening, something mellow from the Wyndham Hill sampler for when I find it hard to swallow, but can still get joy out of haunting piano music. I'll lie there, mostly bones and soft bits, under a loose cotton gown, beard long and white, making it look as if an albino ferret had crawled up on my chest. Also, there'll be at least six wild ferrets loose in the room where I'm staying. Don't pet them or try to make friends. They are animal guardians meant to keep demons away. The room will smell heavily of incense and pignon and ferret, like an inexpensive spa-slash-taco stand on the outskirts of Santa Fe. And there'll be a woman dressed as a buxom Celtic banshee, gently patting my forehead with a damp washcloth, soaked in my own blend of essential oils, specially tuned to loosen my spirit form from its attachment to my bones and organs. I'll be a slippery spirit on my death day, folks. The small toy trumpets I've sent to relatives and devoted followers will blare sad little versions of Let's Hear It for the Boy from the Footloose soundtrack. I trust everyone will have rehearsed. I should make sure that it's written in a note that goes out with the with the horns to, to, to rehearse. Leon, a man from my turtleneck swap meet, will take the large pale blue bedsheet down from its place covering the massive pipe organ he's been restoring in his garage, which was originally intended for the First Methodist Church, and he'll play a medley of classic funeral marches, letting the final notes stretch far too long, far too late in the evening causing the neighbor's tabby to moan from her perch on the trash can outside and startling a bat from its home under the eaves of the shed next door. I keep most of my thoughts about my dying rituals and procedures in a black spiral-bound notebook, many of them that I had printed up in multiples one night at Kinko's. Now it's a FedEx Kinko's, but then just Kinko's. And from midnight to 6 a.m. at that particular location, you could rent computers for half price, paying by the hour. And the scene at this one, this uh, 24-hour Kinko's, was very Baltic State Youth Hostel meets Methadone Clinic in South Jersey. So I was immediately at ease every time I went in there. I keep all these these books, these uh, death procedures and rituals books, on a high shelf. No, wait, I keep these books under my... Oh, well, this is embarrassing. I'm not sure where these things got to after the move. I'll probably need a How to Find the Death Book book printed up. <laughs> I guess I know what I'm going to be doing tonight. Maybe focusing solely on my own demise isn't the momentum boost that I need. 
I haven't even told you about the ceremonies, though there's so much more in there. Once, you know, once I go, specialty death custards, a collaboration with Firewater in Providence, Rhode Island, ritual melting of my belongings in the Gowanus, make your own Sundays, mud mandalas, everyone gets to try on a pair of my shoes celebration, potato sack races, tire rolling, a shuttle run. Basically, it's going to be a faithful recreation of my elementary school field day, but with booze. And more of a, this older person was really important to me, but now he's gone kind of feeling. See, minor home repairs, putting up wallpaper, considering my own elaborate death rituals, they're all things I can handle or become easily distracted by, like whistling nude in a canoe. It just comes easy to me. But when it comes to creative output and pushing a narrative forward, well, I'm just at a loss. You see, I thought... Maybe it was time I wrote a book about my experiences these last few years. Nine years of self-exploration. First, recovering from divorce and discovering the world of the Gowanus Canal and then finding love again and learning to unlock my inner potential through energy, movement, and a lucrative essential oils business. And podcasting. I mean, if it bleeds, it leads, right? And that's what people want to hear most about, podcasting. Is there a sexier word in the English language? I don't think so. It just immediately makes the face of whoever you're saying it to kind of go completely lax and without feeling, not unlike a stone or a corpse. Those loose faces seem to signal that, yes, I have shut down the rest of my body to receive information about recording conversations with people I've never heard of, and in a format that is available only on devices through software I am unfamiliar with. And are you telling me you do this for money and you've been doing it for almost ten years? Extraordinary! and they never recover from that face, such as their awe and excitement for the podcasting world. Just stunned. I think just marveling at it all. It's like telling someone your dream, and your dream was just you're wearing denim on a warm afternoon. It's that impactful. So I've been trying to get started on the writing process. I've secured a marble-topped writing desk with golden handles full of drawers to keep drafts of the book as I feverishly finish them and put them in an ever-accumulating pile. I mean, if I ever start on them, they will surely pile up. The desk faces the window so that I can look out on the world and find my place in it. Sometimes I just think, boy, those neighbors really love cooking out, and it's not even summer. Do they not own a stove? And other times I think, I need to walk around, be in nature more. So I'll walk to the bedroom window and look out, and by the time I get there, I've passed the kitchen, which makes me want to have ice cream, even though I'm not supposed to eat any more ice cream on account of a real fear of diabetes and shirts that no longer fit. So I eat a pint of ice cream. I can't help it. I'm very impressionable. Let's just say that I've used the discount code SUBWAY more times than I can count. And because of that, I'm worried that I would end up falling for a televangelist or a timeshare or a cult, as I've talked about before. Now, when I explored some of the pitfalls of being in a cult not long ago on this very program, it was before I had the chance to watch Wild, Wild Country, the documentary about the Rajneeshi, which is available on the Netflix platform. And can I just say I was right? Number two person in the cult, always the problem. I mean, can you believe how right I was? Sheila is scary. It makes you wonder if she'd be as powerful if she was wearing like patterns or something that wasn't all maroon. Like, what about being that matchy-match? It's just so powerful. I could get into it. I like wearing all the same color. But those are always the people who are a little off. 
like the woman who wears all green in our neighborhood. I mean, sure, you can read a sweet little story about how it's her favorite color, and she just feels so springtimey wearing all green. But methinks there is some dark magic afoot. Dressing all in one color suggests to me a wound that hasn't healed. Like you're walking around scar tissue, unable to fully reconcile whatever was said or done to cause you harm, that drama I was talking about before. What you think is armor is actually just calling attention to the fact that you have none. Wow, I have a lot of feelings about this lady. She dyed her dog green. I guess that's where I draw the line. If you want to wear green earrings, socks, and trousers, go nuts. But the dog did nothing. Leave him out of this. I'm not really an animal person, as you know, but I do follow this one little Pomeranian on Instagram, and I love that little bear. They put him in shirts. <laughs> I love that. I love it. Did I mention I was having trouble with procrastination? Oh. So, yes, this particular cult, all one color, all maroon, which for me is nice because that was one of my school colors. So being a Rajneeshi would be like being in an endless gym class, only with a little more outdoor sex. That might be my favorite part of the documentary, where the older fella in the overalls, who looks like a walrus that's taken up ranching, he'd fit in perfectly if they ever made a cartoon of the Cracker Barrel experience. He starts telling us about how loud it was at night with all the sex happening. <laughs> I've been in enough hotel rooms and motel rooms and ashrams to know that it can be disturbing to hear that much sex when you're not invited to be a part of it. I'm real quiet when it comes to intimacy because I don't want to bother anyone. That's how I was raised. The idea of everyone getting along, that's the thing that's at the root of the Rajneeshi cult, and, and that's appealing. Loud outdoor sex, less so, but then again... Lots of whole greens and root vegetables. Like I said, I'm impressionable, and it would probably be like a year before I said, wait a minute, why do we need to poison the salad bar and all the nearby restaurants? Have you ever seen an open-air salad bar? If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, you sure did. Ask a child today what a sneeze guard is, and they have no idea, the poor things. But there was a glorious time in my youth where you knew where your shredded lettuce ended and the leafy dark garnish lettuce began. You knew that chickpeas looked like flesh nuts and were never to be touched, and bacon bits weren't just for baked potatoes. But if you wanted a baked potato, there was an open fixin's bar for that, too. It was the golden age of fixin's. Salads were considered fixin's, and bacon was bits. I feel like things really changed for us when they pulled the fixin's back behind the counter. Look at Chipotle. They do all the fixing of the fixin's for us. Sushi? Fish fixin's. And do not get me started on chopped. I used to pay good money to do that myself at a suburban Wendy's in a location right next to the entrance to the restrooms. I do like to travel, and I was in Austin recently. It's warm there, and I had had it with this cold gray weather in New York. The sun is finally out after what feels like four months. My depression was depressed. It's like, just give me an effing daffodil already. Just one. Well, we got him. And Austin has flowers, too, and cactus and grackles. Oh, the grackles. They were bigger than I remembered and louder. You see, I was reminded uh, that about eight or nine years ago, I was also in Austin. Episode 7 of this program, season 1. Now, it's not numbered, so good luck figuring that out. <laughs> I'll tell you, it, it was an episode called Totally Smoked. And uh, I sound like a child. I went back and listened to it. Uh, oh, my gosh. Who is that young person? Divorced me. was so whispery and conspiratorial when talking about angry birds and in, in uh, warm climates. Why do I always end up in parking lots? A lot of parking lots featured in that one, too. 
Uh, Austin also has Migas and a comedy festival and a performance art festival full of people moving slowly and then very suddenly and then slowly again inside of a small box with carpet. It was thrilling. But though I enjoyed seeing some old friends down there at the comedy festival, Moon Tower, like Julio Torres and Ophira Eisenberg and Sam Jay and Todd Berry, with whom I have a very cordial email relationship, I also enjoyed the warm weather and the ribs. But on the last night, things took a bit of a turn. As referenced at the beginning of this podcast, my personal skies darkened and I felt woozy. I was scared about the future, friends. Not the end part. I've got that covered. But all the stuff in between. Like, do you ever just think about your life and think, oof, where well, I've lived this far. I have how much to go? That's a lot of days in there if you're lucky, and also not a lot of days, but also a lot of boring stuff's going to happen in there. And my mind went into that kind of a loop, like a gif or a jif, or like a sequence of early computer animation filled with people whose mouths stretch in unusual ways. Do you remember early computer animation? If you ever had a nightmare, you do. It's that. There's honestly nothing as chilling to me as that illuminated grid that says, Kid, you're in a computer simulation. Just the vastness of it, the endlessness of it. Where is that grid? Is it in space? It's just so baffling. To me, that's what the real experience of dying will be like. I mean, you'll have a good time at the festivities, but under my eyes when the world claps off, I'll see that glowing grid and I'll know it's over. No afterlife, per se, just a starless void without horizon. No up, no down. If you fall through a square, you pop up on the other side, like a Escher fever dream or typing 58008 on the calculator. The movie Tron gives me the hives. Riding a light bike? No thanks. Wearing a little hat like that? Forget it. But mainly it's the grid. And everything's the grid. When people get sucked into a computer realm... uh, or the afterlife, whether by natural causes or by being consumed by a video game console that has been possessed by a dark lord, the finality will be complete and it will be a grid. There is no escape. And somewhere, someone is always left cleaning up. Once the signs are turned off, maybe it's God or maybe they own the arcade or maybe it's a curly-headed boy working a double shift in a too-tight T-shirt, headphones on, blaring bad rock music as they sweep skee-ball tickets and bits of popcorn and dust around with a push broom. And as they pass by the haunted machine that you called your life, they don't stop to notice that the machine has been unplugged this whole time. Okay, I'm a little scared to death. (laughs) A lot. A lot scared. I have too much to do. For instance, if I go, who will scramble to get on the plane first so that they can make direct eye contact with all the other passengers as they board, showing them that you care about them deeply? Who will be so swayed by a half-hour food documentary that they'll go out and buy a dozen cookies from Milk Bar because the lady seemed to know what she was doing and who doesn't like cake batter in different shapes? What if I wanted to try being blonde or a redhead or stripy like that girl from Josie and the Pussycats who I think was really nice but everyone hated or cosplaying as Schnarf from the Thundercats? What if I wanted to go glamping? That's a lot to look forward to and not get to. And so, yes... I collapsed in a heap in a motel parking lot. But then I came back. I had a cup of coffee. I wore my prayer necklace and took the herbs my acupuncturist gave me. And I'm speaking to you, my constant companion through the endless void that could be this life but isn't. It's not just a scary blue or green grid here. It's trees and airports and turtleneck meetups and bad presidents and loud birds. It's happening. And gosh, this new wallpaper sure looks good.
The light is more flattering than it was. I skipped lunch and had a bag of pita chips. If I do that for a week, I might lose the extra weight. I can always be blonde inside. Maybe things are going to be okay for a little while. After all, the daffodils are coming up. The cherry trees are blooming. The subways are that weird in-between temperature that's not too hot or cold, just a little too warm. In short, it's vest weather. And vest weather is best weather. And at the center of our galaxy, our magnificent, spinning, milkiest of ways, there lives a gigantic black hole surrounded by tens of thousands of other black holes. And if we can escape the gravitational force of that supreme darkness, we can get through life a little longer. This deep day and this deep night. I'm restored. Goddess bless you. Thank you for seeing me through this. <laughs> oh, now I need to go to the hardware store and see what else I can fix. Lucky numbers this week. Wouldn't that be nice to have a lucky number? Oh, just pick one. Pick one and keep it a secret and just don't tell anyone. Hold it inside for yourself to know. That's what I'm going to do. And a personalized reading this week goes out to Tom Tummel in Sebastopol, California. Sushi? Fish fixins. Tom, I think that will help you. Well, thank you for listening, folks, and remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night is brought to you by the Guana Souvenir Shop in Brooklyn and McGinty Salt Lamp Emporium and Discount Flooring in Bay Ridge. Simply the best for a good night's rest. Two things a body needs, a floor and some salt. McGinty's. Deep Night Season 10 podcast icon by Kelsey Roten. Season 10 theme by Zach Gabbard. Music throughout the show by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm. And a few weird things at the top of the show that I just download for cash from the internet. Venue support provided by the Slipper Room in New York City and recording studio services provided by Harvestworks in Soho. Thanks to all of my guests, Deep Night is independently produced and performed by James Bewley. Thank you for listening and please consider rating and reviewing the show on whatever podcasting forum you're participating in, but especially on Apple Podcasts, which does a great deal toward making Dale feel great, that's me, when he gets up, or is it, when he gets up in the morning for his son's salutations. Are you the best? You are. Close the portal. <laughs>